Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello and welcome to episode three of Practical Theology. Today we continue our topic from last week, God in positions of leadership. We read Romans 13 and we saw that God appoints leaders and that we are to respect those leaders and they are servants of God. Well, does God show us how to do that? There were three questions from this Romans 13 passage. The one was, does God really appoint people? The second was, does scripture or is there any indication how God does this? And third, if he does do this, do we have a role? And what is our role when it comes to leaders in elections? So the first one we answered last week, we said, yes, clearly God appoints leaders. We gave examples of both um, inside of the nation of Israel, but also external to the nation of Israel and how God uses angels sometimes to intercede like with Abraham and Sarah and involve himself to even direct the lives of individuals, not even in leadership. Well, this week we're going to address the second question. What does scripture say about how God appoints a king? We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 20. Samuel is a prophet. He's one of the last judges, and he's a priest, and he is leading Israel at this time. But the people of Israel are upset. They want to be delivered from the Philistines, and they want a king. And Samuel takes offense to this, and God says, Hey, Samuel, it's not you that they have rejected. It is me. So God is going to address this, and he's going to warn the people, and he does this here in verse 10 through 20. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. Note that last statement there in the contrast of what God has told them a king would be like. They're like, no, a king will serve us. He'll go out and fight our battles and he'll go out and he'll do this for us and he'll go out and take care of this for us. He'll be in front of us. And God's like, no, his warnings were, he will put you in front of him. You will be serving him. And they just didn't respond. So God now is going to give them what they want. So there's a problem. The problem is that the people are oppressed by the Philistines and they want to be delivered. And God wants them to be delivered as well. But the people want to do it their way, not God's way. Well, herein lies the issue, the very first issue. So last week we talked about how God intercedes in events and can appoint leaders. Now, does he always do this? No, I I wouldn't say that he's always doing this. But we clearly see in examples in scripture where he does do it. So we know he does do this. 
The first example of the first human king is Saul. And we're going to see how God even says he coordinates these events so that Saul and Samuel meet and Saul becomes king. 1 Samuel 9, 11 through 17. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water and they asked them, is the seer here? Seer being the prophet or man of God. He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. They went up to the town and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So if you listen to that, you see one, God says, I will send you a man. He says this. So you hear this in the idea that God is coordinating the events that brings Saul to Samuel. Second, you hear that God says, I will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have heard their cry. But earlier when we read the passage, we heard how the king was going to, you know, uh, be taking servants from the people and they were going to be in front of him fighting the battles and they were going to be giving a tenth of everything to him. And, and God's warning them, like, this isn't going to be what you think it is. It's not going to just gonna be out somebody serving you. You're going to be serving him. And then he says he's going to use this person and he's heard the, the Lord, the people. So there's like a two-sided problem here, right? You get the one side where God is saying, this isn't what you want. You want me as king, but okay, so here's your person. And on the second side, he's going to use this person to deliver a, the purpose that he wishes and the people that he's hearing of his country say, we want to be delivered from the Philistines. So you have both a solution and a problem at the same time. In 1 Samuel 10, God says, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Saul received the spirit. He was going to be prepared to deliver God's people. And in order to do that, he had to follow God's plans. So this works for a while. Um, Saul is following God, but it is not soon after that, that he is not following God. So this person is going to deliver the people. It's going to be a solution. And at the same point in time, as he appoints them, the problem is showing up. The nation of Israel has a problem. They're not seeing God as their king. Well, anyway, Saul has now uh, received the Holy Spirit, and now the people are going to recognize their king. And God says this in 1 Samuel 10, 23 through 24. The people ran out and brought him out, this meaning Saul. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! I share that verse to point out one thing. The word see there and the head above the rest of the people. The people saw an outward appearance. They wanted a king, apparently, that was tall, good-looking, um, and would be a challenge of other leaders of other nations. And this is what they desired. Interestingly enough, 
he knows this and we'll talk about this when he appoints the next king. But I can imagine the godly people there saying, look, I want to be addressed from the Philistines and God answering that prayer and call. And then the other people getting exactly what they were asking for too, a king. But in one sense, it's a blessing to be delivered from the Philistines. In the other sense, it's a matter of conviction to get exactly what they want, which isn't a godly leader, which is what God was warning them about. So then God says this in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out for the Lord all that night. A couple things here. Regret doesn't mean that God didn't know what was going to happen. Nor does regret mean that God made a mistake and a choice. You can regret something, for example, as a parent, if you see your child do something or if he acts a certain way in public, even though you had no control of that, um, you could still feel regret. You could do this for any loved one, as a matter of fact, even though it's not your choice, you could regret the fact that they've done it. It reflects badly on you. Um, You see them go through possible pain, anguish, um, loss, and so you would deeply regret it. So regret doesn't mean ownership or that God didn't know. The second thing is that it says he has turned away, which means that Saul was acting with God, like, for example, conquering Philistines, but also turned away now means he's not following God. So you can see how he's serving both purposes during his reign. He is both helping and yet addressing a problem, a problem of the people of Israel that they have chosen not God. Well, anyway, God now is going to appoint a king his way. He's like, okay, I'll comp, you know, I'll do this. We'll we'll get this king, but it won't be what you expect. So he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And when he's there, Samuel runs into Jesse's oldest son, a tall, good-looking, strong, strapping young lad. He's like, oh, clearly this is the guy. God is like, no, Samuel, this is not the guy. And he says this. The Lord said to Samuel, "Do not." once he brings David, he sees David's the youngest and he's not as big as the older brother. And Samuel doesn't quite see it. He thinks that clearly the older one was the one. And God says this to him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This challenge of do not consider his appearance or his height refer back to the idea of what the people saw when Saul was ahead above the rest. This is the contrast I'm pointing out. Clearly, the people expected somebody to be tall, good-looking. They wanted somebody who was a pillar for their king. And... God is saying a physical, uh, a physical stature, somebody who's a pillar like that, isn't what a godly king is and isn't what a good king is. I'm looking at the heart of a person, and that heart would be somebody who, of somebody who is loving God, who wants to follow God with all of his heart, as David is described. I almost think God knew that the, if he was just to appoint David, that the people would reject David. He wasn't what they expected. He wasn't what they wanted. They had to learn the hard way, much like sometimes when parents give their children exactly what they want because their children's just set on it. And they know how it's going to work out. You know, it's it's not going to work out for the child in the end, but in the end, the child will realize after struggling with whatever choice it is that he made, that he made the wrong choice. The parent can help him put things back together possibly, and they'll both learn from it. I think this is what God is doing with the nation of Israel. 
they're going to go through this and they're going to realize that the king that they wanted, how they perceived it, the somebody to go out and fight their battles and take care of them, who they would end up serving, isn't going to be the king that they would expect. What they need is somebody who is actually a servant king, somebody who came to serve them. So David is a man after God's own heart. He is going to try to serve his people. In this day and age, in this political situation that we're in in 2020, it's like polar opposites. And it's sad because of an observation that J.P. Moreland make, who is a philosopher and a Christian theologian. And he says that it seems like today the society, the speechwriter and the makeup man tend to get more votes than the character and the virtues of a man. You know, a person's policies show their character, even if you don't understand it. David had issues, right? As, as a leader, God chose David, even though he knew David was going to be a sinner. He chose David, even though he knew David would make mistakes. He knew that David had character flaws, but he chose him based on his heart. It's interesting to me that when Israel was encamped fighting against the Philistines and Goliath was out there, when David shows up to give his brothers food, he's like, what's going on? And he hears Goliath taunting the Israelites and David's offended. And he starts telling his brothers, he's like, why isn't somebody stopping this man? Why isn't somebody doing it? And they're like, we know your heart. We know what you're like. You're being prideful, arrogant. They totally misunderstood David. David wasn't being like that. David couldn't believe that somebody was able to talk bad about his God as a matter of fact, this is how he addresses Goliath. I come at you in the name of the Lord. I mean, he knows who's got his back in this situation. David's heart wasn't corrupt in this, or was he being prideful or boastful or taunting his brothers? He was sad to see that no one was standing up for God. David made himself second while making God first. Well, back to our present situation it doesn't matter what side of the line you're on with this podcast. This isn't a partisan thing. This has just become obvious. Both sides in our present election situation, and this is post-election, so I'm not trying to sway votes or anything like this. Um, This is just an observation for us to apply to our lives later, to be practical with. Think that the appointment of their leader will fix all the problems. And they think the other leader is the cause of all the problems. And it doesn't matter which side you're on for this. Uh, You see this all over social media. Um, You also see recently the Capitol was stormed by protesters in a physical, violent way that would be unacceptable. And yet months ago, we saw riots and violence, um, little city-states being developed in Washington. And it's interesting to see people who were okay with violence earlier protesting things that had happened through leadership and authorities. And yet condemning it now, and then vice versa, people condoning what's happening now, and then condemning what happened then. That is so sad. The idea that we think disrespecting leadership, um, that we can be violent, that we can destroy things, and that it's acceptable, that's being judges of ourselves and not listening to God and what he says. That's in complete disregard to like the Romans 13 passage. Now, is there a place for the Romans 13 passage where it's like, hey, look, you can't just blindly follow a leader? Sure, we'll talk about that. There, there is a concept where God's rules take precedence over the, the rules of a man. But in any situation that it fully is biblical to do those things, we can't just disregard what our leaders say. 
So in our present time, that's probably the saddest part for me, to see that people are justifying actions based on their own hearts, but not based on what Scripture says about them. If anything, the present situation shows us in 2020, it's that we have a problem as a people, just like the nation of Israel had a problem. And I can see God appointing either leader that's present, whether or not the last four years or the next four years, not as an answer and a blessing, but as a point of conviction, or possibly just like he did with Saul, both. Possibly there will be things that are instituted that will help people in our nation and other things that will address sins in our nation. But one thing is clear. In the end, we will get the leader we deserve. That is both a warning and a praise. Kind of like the saying, be careful what you wish for, you might just get it. In the end, I see how God would work this. And just like he did with Saul, he could give us exactly what we want. And we think that he's answering it in one way when he's actually helping us in another way. But make no mistake from the Romans 13 passage, whatever leader is in charge, God has put there to help us. Whether it's through conviction and correction or encouragement and leadership. We will get the leader we deserve, but I I know this. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but as a Christian, I know that I have a leader I do not deserve. And that leader is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Father, we can have faith in and trust him. And whatever this political climate would be, that would be the biggest lesson from this, this study. That our hope shouldn't be in a human leader. It should be in God. And what we should look for in our problems is how he would want us to solve it, not how we can solve it in lieu of him. So go and share this with people. Talk about the present situation and how it's not a blessing either way. A true blessing comes from God. What we need to do is have our ears open, our eyes open and looking at scripture and listening to Christ and thinking about how we should act, how we should help others through these times of challenge. So until next time, go and live it out.